Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! Gee, money, Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. It all comes down to this. Week 18 is finally here, and the showdown that's been brewing for the last five or six weeks has come to fruition. The Colts host the Houston Texans. It's a Saturday night showdown at Lucas Oil Stadium. It's win and you're in. Both teams are 9-7. and seven. The winner makes the playoffs. The loser goes home. I'm Matt Taylor, and welcome inside Inside Football here with Rick Venturi. It's pretty simple. And today we're getting you ready for the regular season finale between two AFC South rivals. RV, how are we doing today? I feel like you already have some anxiety for this game, and it's only Wednesday. You got that right, man. You got that right. I got that tight gut. Never. A, oh, my God. This going back to my coaching days, but it's so exciting. Yeah. And, you know, we keep talking about it. This is, you know, if you have a warrior mentality, this is what you want. This is this is do or die you know, one and done, bottom of the ninth, top broadcasting crew, prime time. <laughs> you know, what the heck else do you want? No doubt. And, uh, you know, t- uh, you know, a division rival, um, you know, uh, you know, with two unlikely foes in the summertime. And as you just said, you know, the fact that the confluence of the two teams actually did come together, we kept looking at it and we kept saying this could happen mm-hmm. and doggone if it doesn't happen. So, yeah, yeah it's full speed ahead. You know, I'm really glad we're playing Saturday night because I, I think let's say that we win, let's we gonna win, you know, then that gives us to me a little bit extra day to work and prepare for the possibilities for that next week. No doubt about that. So again, here's the situation. The winner of this game makes the playoffs. The loser goes home. There are no scenarios that sees the loser of this game making the postseason. So if you lose, the next time the Colts and the Texans come up short, their seasons are over. And the Colts are looking to make the postseason for the first time since 2020. The Texans looking to make the dance for the first time since 19. And both of these teams, Rick, can still win the division. If the Jaguars lose on Sunday to the Titans, the winner of the Colts-Texans game would be the AFC South champs and would host a playoff game the following weekend against the Cleveland Browns, who are locked in to the uh, number five seed, the first wild card spot in the AFC. They cannot improve their lot in the playoff standings with a win this weekend. So they're locked in. So if the Colts win, Jaguars lose, the Colts are division champs for the first time since 2014 and could host a first-round wild card playoff game did you get all that i mean that's what this this yeah. time of year is all about these playoff scenarios they can be hard to follow but we're trying to make them as simple as possible here no you're exactly right there's there's only um um there's only three teams locked in and you know as you said baltimore's locked into one kansas city's locked into three uh and cleveland's locked into five so you know of the seven teams you really only have three locked in teams as we sit here today I mean, nothing would be better, and nothing is more possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing is more possible than for Jaguars to take a loss in Tennessee, uh, you know, for us to win. And nothing would be better than to have a rematch with Cleveland uh, right here in Lucas Oil. I, I you know, I, I watched the game 
yesterday, and we really outplayed the Cleveland Browns. You know, they made a couple big plays, particularly Garrett. But, I mean, if we don't get penalties that go against us at the end, we win that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, in some ways, in some ways dominated a lot of the games. So, you know, that would be that would be thrilling in, in so many ways, yeah. you know, to have the Browns in here a week, a week from this weekend. Yeah, that's the ideal scenario, but obviously a lot of factors sure. will determine uh, where the Colts play if they make the postseason and things like that. So stay tuned, as we say. Check out Colts.com. Uh, the Colts mobile app for the latest, especially this weekend after the Colts game, uh, especially if they get a win over the Houston Texans. All right, let's talk about the state of this Colts team before mm-hmm. they head into essentially a playoff game like we just described in Week 18 here. They beat the Raiders last Sunday 23-20. to They played a clean game, no turnovers on offense. The running game returned with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, the Colts had some explosive plays. They had two pass plays over 50 to jumpstart the offense. Uh, the defense got just enough stops on Aiden O'Connell and that uh, Vegas offense. O'Connell was pretty good, though, throwing for nearly 300 yards in that game. So, Rick, where are you currently with this Colts team uh, as it stands now coming off a, a bounce-back win over the silver and black, uh, especially after kind of a dud the week before on Christmas Eve, I should say, against the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah, well, it was an impressive win, no matter how you cut it, because the Raiders were fighting for their lives. Um, they, they, there was no quit in them. Uh, they played to the end, <clears throat> and they are a terrific defensive football team. I mean, they really were. You know, since AP, you know, took over, I mean, they were number one in the league, giving up points. So, I, number one thing I feel really good about, uh, I think it's coming together. I was really impressed, and this is from a coach's standpoint the way that Steichen and the offensive staff really adapted after Atlanta and fixed their issues. You know, we found ways to run it. We got really creative. You know, we we were pretty kind of static in Atlanta, but we found ways to run the ball. We ran different stuff like whams and leads and powers and, you know, toss cracks, all kinds of different things. We got away from that inside zone, and that that's just good coaching. I mean, that's that's looking at yourself, being honest, and and getting better. Uh, I thought along with that, of course, you said we played clean, we ran it, and then we got the explosive plays. And you know, you're very seldom going to ever win in this league unless you get ex- explosive plays. It, it number one, it gets you points. You know, the three big, you know, the three big plays. Uh, you know, to Downs, uh, to uh, Pierce, and then the PI to. Uh, uh, you know, to Pittman in the fourth quarter, you know, led to 17 points out of the 23. Now, a lot of good stuff in between, but if you don't have those explosive plays, you're probably not going to put 23 on the board. And 23 was really a good day, you know, against that really good defense. Uh, I think I think the defense is a tale of two cities. One, I think, has to be fixed. One was very good. You know, I thought that we, you know, there was two components to their offense. One was stopping the run, and two was stopping uh, Adams. We did a really good job on the run. We did not, and that was their number one component. We held them to 84. Uh, I think we held them to 3.4. They were never able to get that going. We really didn't handle uh, Adams. Had a lot of catches, not a ton of yards, but a lot of catches. And I, I just think the things that has to be fixed is we just can't give up these volumes of passing, easy pass yardage. It's one thing, you know, to give up really tough plays 
we're guys that make good plays, but we're just making it a habit of, you know, keep being kingmakers against backup quarterbacks. And, and that's going to kill us as we go forward if we don't stop it. And I just say the big thing there is we have to be much more contesting in our coverage. Um, you know, we have to, you know, you just can't play area zone all day. Uh, you, I think you have to, you know, be able to contest people, uh, you know, and even in your zones, you know, match receivers in your zones, not letting those what I call no-cover zones, contested passes. And I think that's really critical. I think that's something that really, really has to be fixed as we get into the playoffs now. And, and I think that that's really important. And I would use as an example the interesting thing is when I look at the tape and we play press coverage, those young corners really do a good job. Mm-hmm. We had several, I think five PBUs um, using the press coverage. And, of course, Brent's two plays in the fourth quarter in the red zone came off a press against Adams, and they were both pass breakups, and they were really game savers. So, you know, it's time to, to stop looking at these corners like – you know, we have to protect them like they're, they're college kids or something. They're sophomores at this stage in the, in the game. And I think, I think you'll make them better if you allow them to get up in people's grill and play tough. And then special teams, I don't know. I mean, it, it's always something. You know, we, yeah. uh, we, we still, you know, he's still not kicking as he did early. You know, there's, there's a miss here or there. You're talking about Matt uh, Gay, yeah. Break. Yeah. You got a break on that, mm-hmm. and then, you know, two weeks in a row, two weeks in a row, we've had just ridiculous penalties um, that have kept drive going and really cost us. And you know, we we were able to overcome it Sunday. We weren't the week before, so mm-hmm. you know, that's I, I think that's got to clean up because I you know we was just playing at an elite level and just slipped a little bit there. And again, of course, when you get at this stage, as you as you chronicle there. Uh, you can't have any mistakes. You you can't have any any mistakes anywhere. You got to play clean. All right. So the Raiders are in the rearview mirror, Rick. Now it's on to Houston, Week 18. Everything on the line. And as we said before, the Colts can either be the four seed, they can be the six seed, they can be the seven seed, or out of the playoffs altogether based on the results this weekend. So nothing else matters but beating the Texans. So let's talk about them here now on the big picture. They come into this game 9-7, and seven, just like the Colts. They have tripled their win total from last year under first-year head coach D'Amico Ryans, who's in the coach of the year running along with Shane Steichen. Uh, they started the season 0-2, including a 31-20 loss to the Colts, uh, but they caught fire in the middle of the season and have since alternated wins and losses for the last seven weeks, and they're coming off a 26-3 win over the Titans at home. Uh, in a game that saw the return of rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud after he missed the last two games with a concussion. And for him, Week 18 will be the first time he and the Texans will play in primetime. In fact, it'll be the first time all season that the Texans play outside of the 1 o'clock Sunday window. And the biggest reason for their turnaround, again, is C.J. Stroud, the likely offensive rookie of the year. He's completed 66% of his passes in six games. Uh, He's been over 300 yards passing in six games. And then on defense, they are deceptively good. 13th in points, second against the rush. They are 10th in sacks, Rick. So I'm just going to leave it there for you here on a tee. What else do you want to hit on when it comes to the Texans going into this do-or-die game at Lucas Oil? Well, I think, you know, the first thing you got to know 
is it's it's not going to be the same team we played in game two. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a lot of good things in game one. I mean, we really dominated their defense with our offense in all aspects in game one. But I think they're a lot better. I mean, there's going to be some elements that are the same, but they're different in the sense that they're very aggressive. You know, and by this stage of the season, just like us, they're very confident. You know, you weren't neither team was really confident back in game two. You know, I, I think that if you want to go big, big picture, uh, what happened, just look at last week. Take it as a microchasm. Stroud was 75%. Uh, they rushed over for over 100 yards, and they sacked the quarterback six times. So, you know, that was a pretty good formula, uh, you know, for them to win. You know, D'Amico has done a great job just like, uh, you know, I think just like Steichen has done here. I think Bobby Slowick has done a really good job uh, with their offense and getting their young kid ready to play. Uh, As you said, a lot of top things, you know, on defense, you know, 13th in points given up and on offense, number 10 in total offense. And they can throw it, uh, number seven in the pass. and 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 then on defense, you know they, as you said before, they they they're they're very good in the rush per number two, and they get after the quarterback. Um, you know, I think what's really impressive is that they're number one in the league in giveaway. They, you know, <laughs> it's very odd that a team is number mm-hmm. seven in the league in passing and number one in not giving it up. So that that's a pretty good thing. I mean, you're right. They're led on the field offensively by Stroud. And Stroud will talk about it quick, you know, just a quick silver release, deadly accuracy, you know, and he's thrown for 3,800 plus 21.5 TD ratio and a 99 passer rating. I mean, that's really good, you know, and he, you know, despite the loss, he shattered us, you know, with 384 and 103.5 passer rating back early, even in his second game. Um, you know, they got th- their running game on paper is not very good statistically, but they have two really good runners and they kind of pulled it together last week. Singletary is an outstanding space player uh, who also has a lot of catches, 29. He's 4-3. And Pierce, who's really now become the second back, he started out as the back, but he is just the opposite. He is a downhill thruster. Uh, also had a long touchdown, a kickoff return for a touchdown against the Browns. He showed some great speed there. So, you know, I think their running game, I think it's a threat, and it's a threat mostly because of those two backs, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, the the wide receiver, Collins, is their number one playmaker. You know, he's got over 1,000 yards. The most impressive thing about Collins is the 15 for. 15-4 uh, per catch and seven TDs. He's a guy that can get deep on you, can get the 50-50 ball. He's really downfield guy. He really had a great day against us, seven uh, for 146, and he averaged 20.9 against us. He's going to be their what I call their isolation guy. That means he's going to be the guy that's going to be one-on-one on the outside, you know, and they're going to take their shots to him. They really, really are uh, and then the, the number two guy is Woods. Woods is not a fast kid, but he's kind of a classy number two. He would be kind of the opposite. Uh, basically, he'd be the opposite of Collins. He's their possession guy. 
Uh, he's going to work the inside of the field. He's going to work some third downs, and he's also a gadget guy. He'll run a speed, a reverse, you know, a double pass, things like that. And then uh, they've got a couple decent tight ends. Uh, you know, I think Schultz and Jordan are solid players. Jordan has really, and he's been around for a while, he's really become a Swiss Army knife. I mean, he's a tight end. And then last week they ran a lot of eye formation with him in the fullback spot. And then he's he does be effective in the red zone. Their offensive line uh, is a problem. I mean, uh, Tunsell is very solid at left tackle, as we know. But from him across the board, they're really, really below average. And their biggest liabilities to me are Heck at their right tackle, Scruggs at their left guard, and Dieter at center. And at the end of the day on offense, the guys that can beat you, obviously Stroud, Singletary, Slash Pierce, and Collins can beat you. And then Woods and Jordan are role players, okay? All right, on defense, you know, I think their strength is they're keeping the point total down. 13, uh, number 13 in the league, uh, doing a really good job against the run. Now, we hammered them with the run. We were 5.5 in that first game, and then their sack total is really coming. It's really gone up. They're up to number 10. I'll get into that. Uh, You know, they're excellent and deep on the edge. I would say, you know, the strength of their team is really they have four edge guys. Um, you know, uh, Grenard uh, is 12 and a half sacks. He didn't play last week. His status is still questionable, but he is uh, really tough off the edge. Anderson came back after three weeks off. He has seven, and he still missed a lot of time. Hughes had a huge strip sack last week early in the game that led to a six-point a touchdown, a defensive touchdown. And, you know, we know Jerry Jerry has 67 career sacks and a lot of strips. And then um, and then the guy that they just picked up from the Eagles, Barnett, had a one-and-a-half Sunday, and he now has 24. So this is really a good group collectively. I like all their stack backers. I don't think there's an ambient there, but Cashman, Harris, Perriman, and 2020, uh, those those four guys have a ton of tackles. They play really, really aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, Petrie is really a, an emerging star to me at safety. He's one of the young kids in the league that is really, really good. Uh, I think Stingley is very, very good at their left corner. You know, I I think he really is. He has five interceptions, which is a lot for a corner, and he plays the left corner all the time. But where they have one major liability, I don't think this team has a lot of, a lot of liabilities. I think their inside tackles are okay. I think they're twitchy, but I think you can run on them. But I think their biggest liability is their right corner, which is Nelson. Sometimes they'll play Holman and sometimes Ross, just simply, you know, because they're getting torched. Uh, you know, they're pretty basic on early downs. Uh, they're going to give you the wide over front. That's why you can, I think, hammer in. Uh, they're going to give you a bear with their will linebacker, which is Cashman, walked up to create it. He'll jump up there late. Or they'll give you the big bear with five big guys up front. A lot of fires and dogs early, single high, try to take you away. And then when they get into uh, longer yardage, now you get a lot more coverage. You get quarters, eight, 
and they've been playing a little bit more too. But I think that's really, I don't think that's as much strategic as it is kind of compensating for for their struggles at right corner, to be honest with you. But they'll give you a lot. If you get third and long, you're going to get a lot of volume. You know, you're going to get those mugs, those guys walked up, double mugs. They will cross blitz inside. And then every once in a while, they'll go old school like old Tom Landry, and they'll line up eight guys up on the line, and I call it eight up, and sometimes they'll come from it, and then sometimes they'll back off. So a lot of different stuff uh, on third down, some six high buzz and two man, and occasionally they'll use delta. Now, they didn't use it last week, but before they were using delta with uh, Grenard as the stand-up guy in the middle now. They could probably do that with Barnett if they wanted to, but we didn't. They didn't show it last week. So, mm-hmm. again, the way they beat you is with superb edge rushers. Now we did a great job in that last one. We didn't turn it over, and I think they only had one sat mat. So I think you know we we ran it, and we protected it, and we didn't turn it over. We we have to repeat that on offense this time. Yeah, the offensive line for the Colts played tremendous in that game. They and that, did. that was one of those games too where they played a majority of that game without Ryan Kelly. Uh, we yep. we always think about week two. That was the game where Anthony Richardson went out with a concussion. Well, Ryan Kelly did as well, and Wesley French came in and played at a very high level and kept that yep. pass rush at bay. We're getting specific now, rolling out the blueprints. Let's start first with the Texans on offense. And, again, that unit got to buy C.J. Stroud. And despite missing two games, here are the numbers. He ranks ninth in the NFL in passing, second in passing yards per game at 274 third in yards per attempt at 8.1, sixth in passer rating, second in completions over 25 yards. He has 38 big plays on the season. Uh, Overall, they rank kind of middle of the pack in scoring. Their magic number for what it's worth is 26. I dug that up. They're 5-0 when they score at least 26 points in a game this season. Uh, The running game now mostly features former Bills running back Devin Singletary in his first year in Houston, and his workload has really picked up since Week 10. Uh, The main weapon in the passing game, Nico Collins. He's over 1,000 yards receiving, and on the year he's got four 100-yard receiving games, including 146 against the Colts way back in Week 2. The offensive line was really banged up against the Colts in that first meeting. They were down four of five starters up front, which led to six sacks and two strip sacks on C.J. Stroud. But in this game, they should be getting left tackle Laramie Tunsil back and have a much better personnel grouping to yep. combat the Colts' pass rush in this Week 18 battle here. So, again, I'll leave it there, let you kind of take over from that point on here. Rick, what else stands out to you on film about this Texans offense going into the last game of the season? Yeah, just just some things on their basic specific and then the blueprint. You know, they're not really complicated on offense. It's a very <clears throat> basic run def- run offense, mm-hmm. mostly a zone running team with some tosses and flips and counters. You know, uh, they will get into some eye as of last week. That was pretty new. Um, and again, you know, the, the fullback, uh, the, the 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 fullback is Jordan, which I hadn't seen before. And then they'll run some leads and some searches and some play action. Again, again, the you know the primary part of the passing game is Collins. I mean, they're going to try to get him deep. Uh, they're going to try to play action on early downs. Um, if they can get him one on one, the kid is super accurate. 
if you're playing one-on-one on getting that ball where it should be, uh, they will run some bootlegs on first down. A lot of play action, though, with Collins deep and Woods coming over the top, uh, you know, underneath to Woods. You know, they're, they were beginning to get the ball to Noah Brown. They struggled with the loss of Tank Dell. That really hurt them because he had a, that was another playmaker, and he's out for the year. And Noah Brown was starting to emerge, but now he's got a bad back. I'm not sure if he'll be able to play. If he doesn't, it'll be Mechie or Hutchison. But they're struggling a little bit for that number three guy. And I, and before I get into the uh, must, which I'll recover, you just can't let Stroud get comfortable. It, he'll tear you apart. And the other thing is be very alert for the uh, gadgets in what I call the alumni. The alumni zone for me is is the uh, is uh, is R50 to 30, just before they get to the red zone. That is a layer of the field there, that 20-yard, and that's where you get the reverses, halfback passes, and gadgets. Just be, just have that in the back of your mind as a coordinator. All right, basically the Colts' defensive blueprint for victory. Number one, just have to control the running game. We did last time. I think they got 2.2 and the screen game, you know, which we've been vulnerable, so we're always going to see it. Again, like you said, Singletary has really taken over as the number one. They started the season with Pierce as the number one, and they thought coming off last year he was going to be the guy. But they have two very capable runners. I think you have to think of Singletary as a little bit more of a loose play receiver, you know, can make people miss, and think of Pierce as that downhill but he has speed. I, as I said last last week, he had the huge kickoff return two weeks ago against Cleveland. Ogan Bowali will come in there on third downs at times, sometimes to block, sometimes to receive. I think the thing be careful with is, again, the running statistics are going to be poor, but these backs are fine. We have to control this part of the game and make them one-dimensional. And you, by doing that, you will put the onus – on the offensive line, who becomes very vulnerable when they're in sure pass situations, and the team itself is very vulnerable to the blitz. You know, they're number 24 in sacks. So you cannot let them, and I always use the term over and over, have a life raft. A running game or a screen game would be a life raft for that offensive line. Number two, you have to take Collins away. I mean, because he is number one and far superior number one, um, you've got to stop him. I mean, he just shredded us in game one, you know, seven catches, 146, and, and a, an, an amazing 20.9, okay? All right, this year he's, you know, 1,100-plus. You know, he's a guy that can run the whole tree, and he plays that weak side receiver like all the top guys do, you know, you know, like the kid Adams did last week against us. He's going to be isolated weak side. He can run the whole tree, the slants, the outs, the ins, the go routes. And then they really like him with the 50-50 ball in the red zone. When he's inside, when he's not on the outside, obviously he's there for a reason. Okay. All right. He is the Lone Ranger. No disrespect to everybody else, but they're pedestrian after him. So to me, there's no excuse to not take him away schematically, okay? Number three, and when I say physically and technically take away role players, what I mean is know what they do 
and defend them one on one because if you're gonna if you're gonna push the coverage to Collins, then you have to be able to play the role players with your good players. It's that simple. And so the two guys that you are most concerned with, obviously, is Wood as the number two wideout, and then the the combination of Schultz or Jordan at tight end. Now those guys are all primarily uh, second, first, and second level receivers. They're not pushing them deep very much. So, you know, I think it's really important that we take them away. No question about it. And, again, Jordan has taken on a bigger role, okay, a much bigger role, number nine. And Jordan has got it, has become a guy that is, like I said, Swiss Army knife. He can play tight end. He played fullback last week, true fullback. And then he also is a a little bit more of a threat in the red zone. And what I mean by that, he runs a lot of what I call nods. In other words, it would be a three-by-one. He's the inside receiver. you got Collins back on the weak side. So coverage starts to get distributed outside. And a nod, which he does very well, is when you go down and you run a quick out, like you're going to run a stick route, and then you just give it a head nod and you take it to the end zone. He's very, very good at that. So you know, and a lot of times that's linebacker coverage, you know, per- particularly on Zaire. Zaire's got to be really alert for that nine route there. All right, number four, and this could be number one, is you have to control Stroud. You know, he comes in with all those great numbers we talk about. And, again, despite losing that game, he shredded us in that first game, a 384, 103.5 passer rating. The kid is poised. He's got a quick silver Quicksilver release, deadly accurate, throws a really catchable ball. And I tell you, he's not hes not in the fashion of the new guys. He's not an option quarterback, but he has enough escapability to move in the pocket and to extend. Tremendous poise. I'll just be honest with you, I did not love this kid enough coming out. I, I did not give him a, a lot enough credit. He ha- has done an amazing job. He's got greatness stamped all over him. And, you know, really, he's, it's not like he's driving a great almond. There's a lot of Walmart players on this mm-hmm. offense. So, yeah. I mean, I think he's done well. Now, with this kid, you have to have tight window coverage or he will stick it in all day. If, you, if, you, if you're going to sit and play area zone and watch him, then you're going to watch him complete about a million passes. Now, his skill has is and always will because he's a high rhythm passer his skill will diminish if you pressure him okay and that comes to number five our offensive line if we get advantage which we have to get we, we've got to kill their offensive line after Tunsell they're vulnerable everywhere you know you know I think it starts left guard scrubs center Dieter right tackle heck those are the those are the liabilities they cannot protect in a one-dimensional game. 24th in sacks. Their running backs have a terrible time in protection. So without a great overall receiver core, this is a team, and because of the quarterback and how his, how his performance diminishes, you should blitz this team from the time they get off the plane till the time they get back on it. That's Rick Venturi. This is Inside Football. I'm Matt Taylor. Let's go over to the other side of the ball now and talk about Houston's defense. They're coming off a very impressive game against the Titans, 
holding Tennessee to just 187 yards of offense, only 53 yards rushing. Tennessee was just one for 12 on third down. They scored on just one of their 10 possessions. And despite giving up a season-high 126 rushing to the Colts back in Week 2, the Texans are very good, very, very good in stopping the run, giving up just 88 yards per game. In fact, Rick, they've held four straight opponents to under 80 yards, and they're second in the NFL with 100 tackles for loss as a defense as well. Um, That rushing defense, though, is going to be put to the test against Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Taylor's been over 140 rushing yards in each of his last three meetings against the Texans. Hasn't played him since week one of last year, for what it's worth. Uh, But they've got some studs. They go with uh, rookie defensive end Will Anderson, lottery pick in, uh, in the draft last April. Came back after missing the last couple of games with an ankle injury last week. And he's now got seven sacks on the season and has broken the Houston record for sacks by a rookie. Their leading sack artist is Jonathan Grenard with 12 and a half. And they have racked up 14 sacks as a team in the last three games. That's the most in the NFL in that span, by the way. And then on uh, Saturday, if the Texans get a sack, that'll give them 46 for the season as a team and would be a new franchise single season record. So, again, I'm just going to hit the pause button, leave it there for you for the uh, Texans on defense. Rick, how do the Colts match up against this defense that doesn't seem to be overly complicated? They just kind of play their system, and they do it very well. No, well said. You know, I mean, if you look at four things, just four major things, they don't give up a a ton of points. They're pretty good total. You know, they play good rush defense, and they can get after the quarterback. So, you know, those things, and I think you made a good point. I think if you look at them, the arrow is pointing up. This is a defense that has improved and improved and improved. It's a lot like the Raiders in that we're playing them probably at their hottest moment. So that's the challenge. Now, we did a we did a number on them in the first game. I mean, we had 353. We had 126 rushing at 5.5, and, and we scored four times out of four in the red zone. So, you know, that that's – and no turnovers. So that's – that's kind of what we we have to duplicate that if we possibly can. I think it'll be um, more challenging. Obviously, as you said, it's fair, you know they're they're not a real complicated team. Again, I think they found a nice balance where they can give you enough issues and yet play very practical, play very fast. They're playing tremendously aggressive. They remind me so much of the Raiders. Hard to tell the difference in the way they're playing right now. And, again, they're going to give you, they're going to load it up, you know, on first down, whether it's bare, whether it's over, but it's going to be some kind of eight-man front or pressure. Uh, They're going to try to disrupt you. They're going to try to take away that running game. I mean, at this time, everybody knows what you do and you can't do. I think they'll try to press us. Uh, That's not necessarily their style, which is good for us. I think they'll do some of that stuff. They play a lot of what I call buzz coverage. Uh, They'll bring their safeties inside the box rather than outside the box. Um, Then when they get on those third and longs, there is a lot. There's a lot of volume when they get in the third and longs. But at the end of the day, it's the four edge rushers. They can only play, thank God, two of them at one time. But it's Grenard, you know, it's Anderson, it's Barnett, okay, and Hughes. You know, which, you know, probably is collective of four guys is you're really going to see, and then you got a really good safety, you know, uh, in Petrie, and Stingley's a really good corner. 
I, I just see them right now, and very much like I saw the Raiders, really well-knit. They found the balance of nuance and aggressive play. Four edge rushers are collectively as good as it gets. All right, in terms of the Colts' offense and their blueprint for victory, we got to rush the ball. Like I said, we did a heck of a job. We pounded them. You chronicled it. Our offensive line dominated them in the first game. We were 5.5 a rush in that game number number one. And you got to be able to get that ball off tackle and outside like we did last week. Now, I'm really encouraged because we we made a lot of adjustments last week, and we really got that ball outside and off tackle because they're going to give us some of that bear. And I do believe that we can pound that inside uh, and then attack their edges. I think their their edge guys, as good as they are as pass rushers, I honestly think that they're rushers first. And I think they're vulnerable to the run. But number one, we have to be able to rush the ball by the end of the day. Not necessarily uh, to start it, uh, but we have to run it. And then I just think we have to do things to get Jonathan uh, JT the ball in space. He had some big, he had some explosive against us. Uh, and, you know, I, this is a, kind of a hidden thing in that first game when I went back and looked at everything. You know, they had the ball, time of possession, oh, eight minutes longer than we did. We can't let that happen this time. I just don't think we can let that happen. But, you know, we got to run that ball. And even though they're number two, it's going to be a challenge. But we want to keep their edges and their coverages off balance. Number two, just the obvious, protect the edges. I mean, you got Anderson with seven sacks. Grenard, 12-and-a-half if he plays. Huge, Hughes, 67, and then Barnett, uh, 24. I mean, that is – and they'll, they'll come at you with different guys at different times. You have to do a really good job. You know, when they're rolling and stopping the run, and that's why I think the run is important, they can be a real, really problem. Again, this is one of the best collective four in the league. We did shut them out in game one in September – so there, we're a little bit encouraged by that. But, again, this is a, a different world with it all on the line. Number three, you've got to attack their right corner. It's going to be Nelson. You know, they had to take him out a couple games and put a home in a Ross. They were worse. But you have to go after them there. This is the Achilles heel. If there's one just glaring weakness, it's at right corner. And you've got to be willing to challenge him, create explosive, He'll he'll give you some PIs. They'll undress the strong side, uh, no matter whether it's single high or four or eight. So what I'm advocating is a lot of strong left formation this week. You want to create the strong side of the formation, actually to Nelson, and you want to get after him. Strong side of the formation to Nelson, and you want to get after him. And then number four, when they're out of first down and they go to their quarters, they, they love to play four and eight, their quarter stuff. Then I think we have to attack the strong side with what I call four beaters. Okay. By that, I mean, get in tight, run a double post. Sometimes you switch the two, switch the two receivers and run a double post. That's hard on quarters. Uh, number two, hard on quarters, scissors. You take the outside guy post inside guy corner. We do that really well. We hit our tight ends a lot, whether it's Mo Alley or Granson, and occasionally we will uh, we'll hit downs on that, on those scissor route versus because the, the safety in the corner, they get confused when two guys come at them directly, 
than who has who downfield. Then the 9-7-3, which is a go route, the corner, and then a flat, which is just a traditional flood. And then work the edges, snap outs and wheels. They'll be there. And then, again, if they adapt, if they adapt because they're struggling with um, – if they're if they're struggling over there uh, with Nelson and they go to a lot of cover too, just be patient. Then you got to bring the ball inside, take your checkdowns, take your inside stuff if they want to go and protect. Okay. Now, <clears throat> all right, number five. All right, we got to be ready for protection on third down. Again, I, I chronicled the rush package. The, you know, it's very very good. Those guys can get after you. They can come off the edge. Rankins has a little bit of twitch inside, can't go to sleep on him. And then it's all the blitz packages, the mugs, mug meaning they're going to walk up, fake blitz. Sometimes they'll come, sometimes they won't. Sometimes there'll be eight up there. They bring them all eight and play zero. Sometimes they'll get up in there with everybody. You'll see those linebackers walked up, and then they'll bluff. They'll come back out, and they'll play some two or they'll play some three. They may pop into Delta. Uh, they like that. They didn't do it much last week without Grenard, but I'm sure they'll have somebody ready to do it or he'll be back. Again, be very alert for that eight up. You don't see much of that. They'll put eight up like the old Dallas Cowboys of the, of the 70s, and they'll get up there and they'll either come with everybody or take everybody out of there. You've got to be really good with your, your deal. So, again, we have been vulnerable to inside blitzes, mm-hmm. and our tackles have shown vulnerabilities to being collapsed at times. So we were much better last week, much better anchors on the edge. So we got to do that and uh, expect that, but take care of it. Those are the blueprints. Clip them out, folks. Memorize them. Impress your friends. That's all you need to know about the Colts and the Texans game going into Saturday night. Rick Venturi with the breakdown, as always. And in the end here, Rick, as we said, it all comes down to one game. It's four quarters. And no one thought the Colts and Texans would be here, but you got to give credit to their coaches, uh, their teams for buying in, believing, getting better as the season has gone on. And I actually saw that the other day, I think I read ESPN, gave the Colts a 17% chance of making the playoffs before the season even started. That was back like in August, and that's before all the injuries happened to this team. So this is what you sign up for, man. This is why you coach. This is why you play. So you can have moments like this where you can prove something on a big stage with everything on the line, man. It doesn't get any better than what we're about to watch coming up on Saturday. No, you're exactly right. I mean, in the end, it comes down to four quarters, 60 minutes for all the marbles. Like like you said, no one thought we'd be here, but that was for sorry-ass civilians, to be honest with you. We do belong here. All right, we've earned it. This is what a true warrior dreams of. This is what you dream of when you're a kid. Do or die, one-on-one, you know, put me at the plate bottom of the ninth. Yeah. And it's all in your control. You know, I think it's important to find a really high emotional level, but – Stay laser-focused and do your job in detail. This will be the game of your life. So embrace it and enjoy it. Come out on fire and don't let up till you burn the house down. Find that inner champion. I talk about that all the time. Each one of us has an inner champion. It lives deep inside. Find it, apply it, and kick their ass to Houston where they belong. I've watched this team grow. 
you know, since day one in July. I like it very much. I believe in it. And I know you're going to succeed. In the end, it's a war. Simply two men enter, one man leaves. It's your time. I believe that. Face your fears and live your dreams, men. There you go. That's the that's a walk-off comment right there, the exclamation point. Live your dreams, and hopefully dreams come true for the Colts on Saturday night under the bright lights of prime time. It's win and you're in, lose and go home. The emotional pendulum will be swinging all over the place at Lucas Oil Stadium on Saturday night. Rick, great job as always with the breakdown and the blueprints. Enjoy the rest of your week. Try to rest up. Try to take some anxiety medicine if you're into that. Maybe you know lower that blood pressure. We got a long way to go between Wednesday now and Saturday, so we got to get you 100 percent right here, big fellow. Come on now, <laughs> got to be right. I mean, it's it's only a momentum game like this that'll keep me up past 10 o'clock. I guarantee. Well, it's going to be worth it. Thanks as always, Rick. We'll see you on Saturday in the booth, man. Really looking forward to it. Okay, Matt. Looking forward to it. You got it right there, Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor, and that'll do it. For this week's installment of Inside Football with RV, the Week 18 edition. And again, should the Colts win, we'll be back next week breaking down the Colts' opponent in the playoffs as the beat rolls on in the postseason. But we want to thank everybody for listening all year long here in the regular season, and we hope we are talking to you next week, doing it again next Wednesday, talking about the Colts in the playoffs on Inside Football with Rick Venturi. Happy New Year out there, everybody. And again, it's the Colts and Texans Saturday night for a right to make the playoffs. Again, for Rick Venturi, I'm Matt Taylor. Have a great week, everybody, and thanks for listening here on the Colts Audio Network.